angels commands all the hosts of heaven. Who else can make every king bow down? Who else can whisper in darkness trembles? Only a holy God. What other beauty demands such praises? What other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy God. Oh, come, let us sigh. 
through his work in his time on earth as a man in his time on the cross and his time in our hearts we thank you for the redemptive work of your son amen uh, Luke chapter 1 26 through 56 we're going to jump into the scriptures if you have your Bibles please turn there and as you're turning there I want to pray because um, we have lost some, some people in our church this week. We had um, Jean's mother, um, Miss B, she passed away this week. We have Deb Lee's father passed away. We want to pray for these people in our church, um, pray for these families um, as, before we dive into the word here. So um, join us in a few moments here of, of prayer. Jesus, Lord, we, um, we, we thank you for all that you have given us, this wonderful church family, Lord. And in this time of, uh, of COVID, when we are just um, distanced from one another, it's difficult, Lord. We, we recognize um, Jean's mother, who, who was a part of this church for, for um, many years, Lord, and uh, who many here knew and, and loved and cherished. Lord, she's at home with you now, and we thank you for that, Lord. Um, we thank you that she is uh, in, in joy and in uh, bliss with you, Lord. We just pray that you would be with Jean this morning, Lord. Be with his family. Um, comfort them, Lord. Give them peace. Would you show us as a church how to serve and, and, and love on his family in this time, Lord? Lord we pray for Deb, Lord, who also lost um, her, her father just last week, and it says, other sicknesses coming into her um, with, with her mother now. And Lord, we just pray that you would be with her. Again, Lord, show us how we can serve, um, serve these families, Lord, to love on them, to care for them, Lord. We pray for your presence to be so strong in their life, Lord. Um, strong in ways they have not sensed in quite some time, Lord, that you would be their comforter, um, the one who cares for them right now, Lord, and who lifts them up and supports them and there are times of weakness. And Lord, we just pray that we would um, strive together in this season, Lord, to continue on as a church family, Lord, uh, showing us creative ways and to still be involved in one another's lives, Lord, to worship you together, to continue this pursuit that you have given us, Lord, of the Christian life. And so uh, this morning as we dive into your word, Lord, uh, give us soft hearts to receive what you have for us, Give us open ears to receive um, the words you have, Lord, that we may hear it, and that it may enter us and penetrate us, Lord, and change us, Jesus. We love you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
Amen. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 56. This is intertwining with a story that we walked through last week of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Quite a bit of scripture. I want to read through all of it as we begin. This is a word of the Lord. Beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of Mary. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped, leapt, leaped, leapt, I don't know, leaped into her womb. I'm from Georgia, so often I don't know how to pronounce words. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And because she, because, oh, sorry, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So this morning, like the good Protestants we are, we are going to talk about Mary. Um, I have 
never preached a sermon on Mary. Uh, I've never talked much about Mary from the pulpit. I think that I was trying to gauge as to why this is, um, and I, I think it's probably just a reaction, right? I've been trained in the evangelical Protestant tradition where I feel there's probably a reaction that says, you know, oh, you know, this, this, this side of Christianity venerates Mary so much, let's kind of distance ourselves from that and say, oh, she was just an ordinary person, not, not a big deal. She was just somebody used by God. So she's talked down a bit sometimes in Protestant circles. And ultimately, I agree with that. She's a fallen human being like everybody else. Yet from time to time, by the grace of God, extraordinary people are given extraordinary faith. And this is a case for Mary. She has some qualities that are pretty much unshared by anybody else in Scripture. And I hope after this sermon, you won't ever see her in the same light again when we are done. So I want to dive into this story beginning in verse 26. I won't read through all this again, but we see that when Elizabeth entered the sixth month of her quiet and her hidden miraculous pregnancy, as we heard last week, of John the Baptist, that Gabriel then went six months later and made an appearance to a young unmarried woman in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a town in the northern Galilee region of Israel, rural and largely unknown of somewhere between 500 and 2,000 people in this time. It's kind of like the time I got lost in Georgia and drove through Roosterville. I laughed at the name Roosterville, and as soon as I laughed, I was already out of Roosterville and somewhere else. That's about Nazareth, all right, if you can think of that in Israel. Mary's fiance was of the house of David, right? And this girl was only about 13 to 14 years old, this was a young teenager. And all this is important. This young girl engaged to a man from the house of David. That was royal lineage. It was crucial for Jesus to have. And in this case, it would be done through legal adoption through his father, Joseph. And Gabriel, she, he appears to this young teenage girl and he says, Hello, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And this can be translated also as something like, hello, one who's about to receive tremendous grace from God, the Lord is with you. Now, like Zechariah, like any of us, we would be troubled, right, uh, upon hearing something like that. Um, but it said this throughout the scriptures, it says this of Mary off and on, that in this case too, that she, she stopped and she tried to discern what she was hearing and why the angel said it. So at 13 years old, she was a thinker. She was not a shallow little young woman, right? And as she is considering what was said, the angel continues in verse 30. He says, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him, I want you to hear these words, like just imagine if you're hearing this from an angel talking to you, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. These are powerful words coming from an angel. 
And as she would be the mother of this child, the child spoken of for centuries by the prophets, the long-awaited Messiah would finally arrive. And this 13-year-old unmarried girl would be the mother. Now imagine yourself at 13 and imagine how you would have responded to some news like this. Her question is, is expected. She says, well, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And she's told that conception will be brought about by the Holy Spirit and that she is not alone in this because a miraculous birth came upon her relative Elizabeth and in the possible scenario as well in her old age because God says nothing is impossible with our God. And I want to be very clear here as we look closely at Mary this morning, knowing what the remainder in the whole of Scripture teaches here, our faith is ultimately a gift from God so that no man can boast, Ephesians chapter 2 says. It is a grace. And in the remainder of our life, it remains a cooperative work where we labor with all of our might and the Spirit comes and He helps us labor as we try to follow and chase after our Lord and God. The admirable things we find in Mary ultimately is a grace of God Yet we still must recognize this is a pretty remarkable story. Her response to Gabriel was unlike Zechariah, who was slapped with muteness for his doubt. Mary responds, let it be according to your word. Now, if you look in the original language here, there's an eagerness. This isn't like a, a soft response like, okay, let it be according to your word. Like, no, like this is, there's some eagerness attached to it where she's like, yes. This is awesome. Like, bring it on. Let's go. When does this start? I'm excited for this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's go. That's implied with her. This is a, a strong girl here. And she's like, yes, let's go with this. Now, Mary's response was to immediately run. There was no gap in time. It says with haste, she went straight to her relative Elizabeth when she heard about what was going on up there. It seems to be another grace that Gabriel told her about Elizabeth as Elizabeth's pregnancy served as a sign, essentially, for her own that was to come, a sign that she did not even ask for. We can also assume that she was probably just wanted to see with her own eyes the current work, miraculous work of God in somebody's life. The work in Elizabeth's life that was soon be coming to her own. She wanted to see God's work and relish and enjoy it and to sit with someone who was experiencing such work in their life. And you have Elizabeth, six months pregnant. We can imagine she's showing now. And she feels this baby leap when Mary comes. And instantly, Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. A special feeling just of the Spirit just overtakes her. And she proclaims, blessed, which also can be translated as happy. Blessed and happy are you amongst all women. Blessed and happy is the fruit of your womb. Why have you come, the mother of my Lord? Why have you come to visit me? Now, filled with the Spirit, Elizabeth was able to instantly know exactly why Mary was coming, what was inside of Mary's womb. And Elizabeth adds, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now remember, this is the household of Elizabeth and Zechariah. 
who a few months prior had his own encounter with Gabriel and unlike Mary he didn't respond with quite the faith and enthusiasm that she had and he still was mute in this time because of it so you can only wonder if Zechariah is walking by and she's like Mary you're blessed because you actually listened unlike some people it's a pleasure talking to you Mary unlike I can't talk to my own husband right and here we land at this special response from Mary. This, this is one of the first Christian songs, if you want to say it that way, usually called the Magnificant, all right, which is simply a Latin word for um, magnify as it begins. I, my soul magnifies the Lord. What we have here from Mary is ultimately a, a prophetic vision of sorts, of a very bold vision concerning the Lord in her womb, concerning his future, and also concerning his kingdom and what kind of kingdom that was to come. Again, you have to kind of scratch away any preconceived notions you have of Mary and remember that these beautiful words came out of a 13-year-old girl. And I have more to say about that at the end. And here's where we see the hopes of Mary expressed and beautifully expressed. And her hopes will have the effect of, of guiding, properly guiding ours. As this Advent season, we are looking to Jesus and his coming all over again. So first, in this Magnificat, she responds, we're all praise should, on the magnifying of the Lord, on his glory. She says, my soul magnifies in the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is ultimately all about God. Now, I am just, uh, now just for that first line, you can see when she says, my spirit rejoices, again, she's not saying, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices. She is like, she's excited. She's like, yes, my soul is just so happy. I'm so full at what is happening in my life. God has been so merciful to me. And she says, she's like, oh, the depths of my soul just magnifies the Lord. I want all to know. I rejoice in him. You've looked on me. Such an unimportant person of no means. This is my paraphrase. And all generations are now going to call me blessed and happy. Now, why would all generations call her blessed and happy? Remember that if it were not for the intervention of God in her life, she couldn't have brought this about in her own doing. This is a miraculous work of God. Without this miraculous intervention in her life um, and her special choosing to carry this baby, Mary would have been lost in history. Young unmarried teenagers, I would assume, were pretty common in those days. Yes, maybe she would have really had a heart to love God with all of her heart, mind, soul, and strength and maybe really have a unique devotion to him. But a lot of people have that, whose names were just lost in history. The only reason why we're talking about her this morning is because he who is mighty has done great things for me, says Mary, and holy is his name. If there's anything to boast in in our life, friends, it is of God and it is his work in your life and in our life. If there's anything to take pride in, to cling to, to boast in, it is that Jesus loves you and has given you an undeserved love, a great grace. And even you, the insignificant you, the God of this universe, he has a love for you. He has given you, he has actually given his thoughts towards you. 
It's what it says in scriptures. Unbelievable. The God who spun the planets into existence has given thoughts towards you. And even more so, he has a plan for your life and he has something in mind for you. And this grand mission to grow and to extend his kingdom and his love in this earth. But those plans are not ultimately about you, but about him. And like we see in this passage, we are most blessed and most happy when he receives all the glory in our life and not ourselves. We rejoice when God receives all the glory and not us. This is what I like to call God-centered theology as opposed to me-centered theology. To be a Christian is ultimately to lose your life and gain your life in God. God does not serve us, rather we serve him. Jesus did come to serve, right? And he lays down an example of how we are to live, right? But he is not some genie in the bottle that we get stuff from. No, our entirety of our lives are devoted to him and he is the one who unleashes undeserved gifts unto our life. We don't use God to do things for us, rather he uses us to do things for him. And it's in that place where we find the most joy possible in life. And that is where we find Mary in this story story. And it is the grace in her life that just makes her so extraordinary. Now Mary tells exactly what kind of kingdom is coming, this kingdom that will have no end. What will this new rule and reign of God look like? Now again, we must remind ourselves of when she is living and what time period this is. This is a mighty Roman Empire, the first century Judea beyond, uh, beneath Herod the Great, the tyrant, in whom the famous saying was, it is better to be Herod's pig than his son. Since, being Jewish, he did not dare kill a pig, but would gladly kill his own family if they attempted to threaten his political and governing power. That kind of guy. If you were powerful, in those days you were commonly wealthy, and in that day and age, wealth generally was attained through ill-gotten means, very much unlike today, right? Unlike today, the rich in Mary's day were mostly an oppressive class of people, and even were expected to um, take advantage of the poor and the weak to continue their ill-gotten gain. This was the Rome she lived in, and this was what was kind of expected in the Roman Empire, and yet this new kingdom that was coming, and the people in this kingdom and its ruler uh, would be quite different. God's agenda and his plan uh, was one that would challenge this Roman status quo and turn it upside down upon its head, and even does so still to this day. This is what Mary says as she continues this magnificent. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now again, we envision a smiling, joyful, happy, but confident Mary saying these things out loud and you can almost imagine people going like, shh, Mary, like you probably shouldn't yell too loud here or say this kind of things out loud because you're, you're kind of challenging Rome here. Like you're going to overthrow, this guy's coming to overthrow the, the, those who sit on the throne in Rome. Like the Romans would, would crucify people in public squares to say, hey, if you want to try to usurp our authority, you're going to wind up like this. 
And they're saying, Mary, um, we don't really talk like that very uh, loudly. And she's like, I don't care. He's coming. He's going to do this work. It's going to be awesome. That's how I envision her, right? Like he is coming and he's doing something amazing. And he will overthrow those who in their pride sit on the throne thinking that they are in charge. But really it is God who is in charge. This is a bold young girl. Yet God in his ultimate judgment on this world, he will overthrow the powers and the rulers and the authorities that rule with oppression and with pride and with arrogance. Those who think they are mighty, he will cast down. Yet those who are humble, he will lift up and he will exalt. The common theme here is those in such places with such authority easily forget that they do not need God. Yet if one is to be favored and exalted by God... It is the humble, those who seek humility. You can sit on the throne and still be humble. The key is having yourself and God in the correct order. Ultimately, God is ruling. His coming son will be king, and he seeks to use the humble. He seeks to humble humanity, to remind us that anything we are given in this life whether riches or positions of influence or even an extraordinarily ordinary life, is from a higher authority than yourself. This is a rightly ordered humanity, properly knowing our place before God. And then Mary continues in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary is announcing this coming kingdom as a place where the hungry will no longer be hungry. Innumerable times in the Old Testament, you can't even count how many, the prophets looked towards and forwards to a community of people beneath God where God ruled and reigned and where the poor were canceled out, where there was no one hungry, no one being oppressed, even the foreigner among Israel not being Oppressed and some having more than others, um, some, and not some having more than others, and not some flourishing while others suffer. In God's kingdom, the oppression of the powerful against the poor will be removed, and judgment will even come on those professors. Now, she is imagining this kingdom of justice, and this will be the very strength of this coming kingdom. No swords here. No war here, but rather hot meals for the hungry. These are not ideals from Mary, wistful thinking from this young girl. She is dreaming an Old Testament verse, if you will. She is collecting together much after centuries and centuries, centuries, much of what God has been saying and just kind of throwing it together and saying, guys, this, this is happening. Like all this stuff is actually going to be happening. It's coming. A kingdom where humanity will finally have the opportunity to, opportunity to be rightly ordered beneath God. And she closes her song in verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He is going to come and remember all of what he has said. Not one promise will go unfulfilled. Perhaps Mary is in this moment really allowing herself to feel the weightiness of what has come upon her and her story. Of all the people in all of history who has lived, she 
by the sheer grace of God and mercy of God has been elected to carry the Son of God in her womb. This is something grace to her, given to her as an act of God, and now she is thinking of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, Moses, and Joshua, and Gideon, and David, and Elijah, and Hezekiah, and Isaiah, and Daniel, and so many others who, who long for this coming day, coming day, even if they did not quite understand the new ways in which God was going to work in this world. Mary, she sees Elizabeth, she knows the work that is happening in her womb, and she says, this is actually happening. God's word to Israel is finally coming true. The good news is coming. And this song known as the Magnificat is Mary's hope expressed. And we can definitely throw this in the pot called the gospel. Now Luke is setting up the reader very early in his account of of Jesus' life to see and to catch kind of the big picture of what God was up to. This is just one breadcrumb if you want to read through the whole of his gospel. These are early breadcrumbs that kind of give you a picture of what is to come. The good news, according to Mary, was God giving grace to the humble, working mightily through ordinary people, and God fulfilling all the prophecies spoken to his people of old was finally going to install a kingdom that would subvert worldly authorities and worldly living by the strength of his arm. And this strength would be by not matching it with equal worldly strength, but by exalting the weak in this world over and against the powerful. This God of the universe has on his mind the hungry who needs food, and he has in his mind judging the arrogant who thinks they can live as if they do not need him. In this gospel, according to Mary, it is in this way that God will fulfill those covenant promises given to Abraham and his children, her and Elizabeth, and to the rest of Israel. Jesus was coming to do some unexpected work and kind of flipped the script. And I want to trace the rest of what we know of Mary in our last kind of backing of our sermon here, including her very last mention in Scripture because it is relevant this morning. So let's journey with me. Um, I won't revisit this entirely reading it, but the next time she really pops up, one of the most important moments is her at the foot of the cross when he is hanging here. Most have abandoned him, but her and just a small handful of his disciples remain. And then past the resurrection, Mary surfaces once more at the very beginning of the book of Acts. It is Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1, the resurrection has happened. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. And picking up in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, we find Mary once again. And then the disciples, after seeing Jesus ascend to heaven, return from Jerusalem to the from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. Verse 13, when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, the disciples, right? James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, it was in this room that the Holy Spirit fell. It is in this room that Peter walked out, and he 
preached on the morning of Pentecost and saw thousands become Christians. And it was Mary sitting among this 120 that first received the Holy Spirit. She was also among the early church, we can assume, as we read in Acts 2, 42 through 47, famous words. And they devoted the day, being the early church, the early, these early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So Mary's song was shown to essentially find the beginning of this fulfillment. A group of people beneath the new kingship of Jesus Christ, these new Christians, they were actually living in the manner in which Mary had foreseen. God's mercy was lavished upon these early Christians. He has granted humility to them and a love for one another that there was not a hungry or needy person among this new community. This was a glimpse of how the world should have been had the fall never have taken place. And it is also a glimpse of how the world will one day be when Jesus comes to finally overthrow death and Satan to the lake of fire and he will install his kingdom in perfection forever and ever. And the church today, we are to be a glimpse of this now. And yes, all throughout history, I know, you can point to me a million times at our church and, uh, you know, our church meaning the worldwide church throughout history that we've screwed this up continually. Yet the extraordinary words from this teenage woman directs us today to embrace this manner of living. And I believe this pandemic we're in presents, up an op- presents for us this opportunity. This is an opportunity to really gracefully extend love. This opportunity for us to consider the manger and the manner in which God came and the kind of person that Jesus is coming to redeem and to shape and to grow and to say we we get to really do this in a unique time of need in our community right now. And as as we close our sermon, I want to, I spent this morning looking at uh, newspapers from 102 years ago, because 102 years ago, uh, about this time, churches were just meeting once again after many weeks of not being able to gather because of a pandemic, the Spanish influenza. And I found, uh, there's actually a bunch of sermons you can find and read. It's very interesting to read. I found one from a, from a pastor, Grimke, from Washington, D.C., um, who pastored 15th Street Presbyterian Church. The sermon he delivered on November the 2nd, 1918, Um, or December the 2nd, 1918, he entitled uh, Some Reflections Growing Out of a Recent Epidemic of Influenza That Affected Our City. Um, All the churches in D.C. have been closed for many weeks, and they just opened up again. This is his first sermon, and here's a quote from that first sermon. He said this, God knows what he is doing. His work is not going to suffer. It will rather be a help to it in the end. Out of it, I believe, great good somehow is coming. 
All the churches as well as the community at large are going to be stronger uh, and better for this season of the stress through which we have been passing. And I believe that this is available to us now if we see Mary's vision, if we understand what Jesus came and how he came and the humility that he came and the love that he just unleashed throughout his ministry. uh, In a way, right now, we're all in need. All of our neighbors, all of us have some kind of need, whether it's just a simple need for just social interaction, for a meaningful, deep conversation, or whether it's the need for just a baked piece of bread to show up in your doorstep to say, Merry Christmas, here's cinnamon bread. All right, it's the best I can do. I'm sorry, but you know, you're my neighbor, and you're awesome, and I'm your neighbor too, and Merry Christmas. Something as simple as that, I believe, will go so far in this unique season that we are living in. The incarnation of Jesus in the manger is all the proof we need concerning the way in which we are to work in this world. We participate in this good news of Jesus by joining him in the same kind of work he did while he was here. Humble, simple acts of service. Even Jesus was found to saying, if you gave somebody a cup of cold water in my name, you will by no means lose your reward. I believe this is the kind of church that we see in Acts 2, that Mary longed for, that she hoped for, and I believe this Advent season, this opportunity is available to us more than ever. So a couple of practical points as we close this morning that we can gain from this sermon. Number one is to pursue humility. Think of the manger next time you imagined yourself to be a big deal. Think of God using a young teenager to bring about the Son of God. He didn't use a queen, didn't use a pious woman in her 30s or 40s in the strength of her life. No, he chose a 13-year-old to do some of the most important work that he could possibly imagine. Pursue humility, just like God showed himself to be. And a word to teenagers, if that's you in this room. If God used a 13-year-old to bring about the saving of this world through the birth of his son, I encourage you to be open to Jesus. Young people, be open to him. Pray that prayer saying, Jesus, I'm open to you using me. Because apparently God does not discriminate against using young people for extraordinary things. So I'll just leave it open. If you consider yourself young in this room, okay, whatever that means to you, if you consider yourself young in this room, God, he can use you for amazing things. Are you open to that in this room? And three here, uh, Christmas is just an opportunity of kind, simple, ordinary, loving acts for neighbors and friends. Things, simple things like Christmas cards and baking bread and learning your neighbor's names and getting to know them and praying for them. These are just simple things. We're looking at these huge, amazing, you know, big acts that we study and read about for thousands of years. And we can also gather from this that there is room to say these simple, ordinary things also have great value in his kingdom. And in this time right now, I encourage all of you, if we look around just out of our windows from our home and see all the houses that surround us and all the neighbors that surround us, I would venture to say there are probably hundreds of people within just arm's reach in our life, right? If you can't bake like me, give it a shot, right? Do, uh, if you have kids, you know, have them draw a card and stick figure, you know, uh, nativity scene and, and just give it to them and say, Merry Christmas. Jesus loves you. And if you need hope in this season, know that he loves you. And here's a stick figure Christmas card. 
right? This will go a long way, and I encourage you all to do so. And this way we can be just a small blessing to our community in this time. And lastly, if you hear, even get a whiff of anybody in our church body that has a need or any neighbor that has a physical need, this is a time to just jump on that. As we saw that he wants to give good things to the hungry, as Jesus was found often doing so, as his ministry was just so centered around that, let this time be a time of generosity for you as well. And so let me pray as we close our time, call the worship team back up to end in a song. Let me pray for us as we close. Jesus, I thank you for the people in this room, Lord. I I think of this kind of kingdom that you have installed, the church here today, this kind of people that you are ruling and reigning over, and the simple work that you have called us to. Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of this time of pandemic, Lord, to be an extra blessing to our neighbors, Lord, to minister to them, to share the good news with them, and also to show them the good news through our love for them. Lord, sometimes you may, you may have for somebody in this room an extraordinary, almost Billy Graham-sized future. We don't know, Lord. But for most of us and for most of the people in history, we will live ordinary lives, Lord, ministering to ordinary people, giving hope to ordinary people. And Lord, I pray that this, this kingdom that Mary envisioned that she saw probably with tears in her eyes as she was in her late 40s at that Pentecost time, seeing this early church come to fruition, I could just imagine her sitting there saying, yes, this is what I thought would come. And this is here, people loving and caring for each other because Jesus has loved us and cared for us. Lord, I pray that we could fulfill that once again in this unique season. This was words of Pastor Kremke so a uh, hundred plus years ago that we could repeat, Lord, that this is a time, an opportunity for us as a church to actually flourish and to be a lampstand for the gospel. And so may this Christmas season uh, just provide that once more for us. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the manger. Thank you for just the, in all of your glory, you just still humbled yourself to be literally born in a barn, to be laid in a feeding trough, the God of the universe. That's the path you chose, Lord. What a humble path. And may, may we be known by our humility and our love for one another. We love you, Jesus, so much. We pray this in your name. Amen.